Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in, Hoist the Colors on a Thursday, November 30th edition of the show on 94.3 The Game. We've got a lot to discuss on the program today. We've got basketball. We've got football, the latest on the offensive coordinator search. We also got an ECU baseball schedule to talk about as that was dropped yesterday afternoon after our show was off the air. So we've got a lot to do over the next hour. As always, we are live on YouTube, live on Facebook, Live on X as well. And if you've got a question, a comment, anything you want to talk about, let us know. Drop it in the comment section. Tweet at us. Call in if you want. If you really are desired, 252-561-8255 is the number there. Any way you want to get to us, we'll uh, welcome you to the show and talk about it. But we got Kaysen Romaley in studio to talk some hoops and more. Kaysen, how's it going, man? going fantastic basketball is in full swing we just got done with the acc sec challenge and we're kind of really heating up in conference in non-conference play right now so i'm really looking forward to it big matchup tonight versus seahawks down the road yeah rivalry game inside menji's coliseum as the pirates welcome the seahawks back to greenville philip pilkington producing today so he will chime in as well throughout the next hour so let's get into this preview in this basketball game case and Again, we'll talk OC search later. We've confirmed a few of the names involved with that, so we'll talk that here in a little bit. Continuing to follow that on hoistacolors.net with uh, VIP 10-page threads and counting. So uh, things are crazy. It's silly season, as we said yesterday with uh, Bobby Howard. But basketball at the forefront tonight, huge game. And, Kaysen, honestly, before we kind of get into the X's and O's of this matchup and kind of the, the breakdown of it, I'm just glad this game is on the schedule. ECU, UNCW, we went to... The contest in Wilmington last year, Trask Coliseum, tremendous atmosphere. UNCW put it on ECU and Mike Schwartz's first year at the helm of the program. But to me, this is an easy game that should be played annually. There's no reason it shouldn't be. I know there there are some Pirate fans who say UNCW gets more for this game than ECU, and I find that silly seeing as UNCW has owned the series all time. They're always a potential CAA championship contender, potential NCAA tournament team as a result. So I think it's a great game for both programs. Yes, and you talked earlier, and speaking of baseball scheduling, I think that basketball scheduling, college basketball, should be just like baseball scheduling. I think the non-conference at the beginning, you should play all the teams that are in your area. And I think this I think this goes for the Carolinas, the States, the Dukes, the Wake Forest, the UNC Asheville, Wilmington, App, Campbell. I think it's great when these teams play each other that are close. And I think tonight's going to be a great matchup. Wilmington is a very good team. I think they're one of the – when looking at what I've done this year and the research I've done, I think they're a top 10 mid-major right now. They're a tournament team. They should win. The, they're called the Coastal Atlantic Conference, not, not the Colonial anymore, right? I think it's the Coastal. Did they, they really change the name? I'm pretty sure it's the Coastal. Uh-huh. Phil, do you know about that? I'm pretty sure it's the I, I did not know about it till I was talking to Scooter earlier today, which will air later on the Patrick Johnson show, and he told me that it was also called the Coastal. Yeah, they changed it this past year to the Coastal. It's the Coastal Athletic. But now, so look, I'm, now I'm freaked out. So look, it is the same as that logo. CAA. It's the same, the same logo, same CAA, but it's but it's the Coastal, and they're the runway favorites this this year. We already 
played a coastal athletic association team in <laughs> northeastern and lost to them so let's not lose another one tonight but i'm re- i'm really looking forward to it tonight it's the uh, 69th all-time matchup between the two teams so looking forward to it 69 all-time meetings between ecu and uncw should be a nice one inside of Minji's coliseum i can't get over this coastal athletic association and, and campbell came this year remember that's right. Campbell has joined the league. Was Charleston in it before? Charleston joined. Yeah, they've. I think they've been in it a while. They joined a number of years ago, I believe. But back when ECU was in it, really a lot of these teams, William & Mary was in it, UNCW were, was in it. I think at that time you had uh, like schools like Delaware and maybe Drexel in there. But outside of that, there's been a lot of movement. I mean, you used to have, you used to have George Mason, VCU, American – uh, teams like that used to be in there when ECU was in it back in the day. James Madison was in there as well. So it was a fun basketball league. Unfortunately, it didn't get the recognition it deserved. But you always had these games growing up as a kid. ECU, UNCW, ECU, George Mason, ECU, VCU, ECU, Richmond. Those are always good games because those programs were solid. When they came to Minji's, they, they, it was a good atmosphere. And then when ECU got into Comfort USA, it took it to another level when they were playing Louisville, Marquette, Cincinnati, et cetera. But uh, anyways, back to tonight's game against the Coastal Athletic Association Seahawks. I'll have to get that one down. Uh, UNCW 5-1. and one. ECU comes in at 4-3. and three. How surprised were you at the line? UNCW only a one-and-a-half point favorite in this contest as of right now. I think that being at home it is a major difference. I will say I think if we were in trash tonight. Probably I think, like 10, right? I mean, the line. I'd say I'd put it at 9.5, yeah. 8, something like that. But I mean, I mean, I was pretty shocked, and especially coming out the gate, how ECU's been playing the past couple of weeks, which has not been great. And honestly, you can argue they haven't played they haven't played a complete game all year. They have not played great all year. I think the game that you can say is a complete game they've played was Georgia Southern. But then again, Georgia Southern's in contention for the worst team in Division One. They're zero and seven. They just went to East Lansing two days ago and got waxed by forty. And, I mean, they're just not good, and that's the best they've played. So, I mean, it's just – it's not great right now for this program, but I do think that the opportunity tonight presents itself with the team versus UNC Wilmington. So, the odd thing is now ECU is favored by one and a half. It flipped? So, it's flipped. UNCW opened as a one-and-a-half point favorite. It is now the ECU in the under uh, – the total was set at 143.5. And now ECU favored by one and a half. So interesting movement there. Seems like the uh, you said the overrunners at what? Overrunners at one forty and a half. Uh, it started at one forty three point five and has gone down. If you want to lock, bet the over. Bet the over uh, with uh, especially how the ECU defensively is playing. All right, uh, this matchup. We already got a roster construction question, which we'll get into. I know you love talking about that, uh, Casey. We'll touch on that a little bit. You've you've broken down UNCW a lot. You came in here with notes. You said you watched the whole App State game. I watched the App State game and the Florida Gulf Coast game, and I watched the Asheville game live, but I didn't need to rewatch that. Okay, I remember that one. So yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's a major outlier on their schedule. They're five and one, and they have not played a, a very tough schedule. I want to make that clear at least early. I mean, they 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 beat UNC Asheville on the road by 17. They beat Columbia International, whatever that is, 116 to 80. Murray State is a solid uh, team. They played 83-81. They were able to pull that out in overtime in the Fort Myers tip-off. And then they played App State and lost 86-56, to a 30-point loss out of nowhere. Bounced back to beat Florida Gulf Coast, which is 1-5, by the way, 71-55. So 
Uh, the, what happened in that App State game for UNCW that, that you saw? To put it in flat out terms, they just went ice cold. I mean, it. I mean, it was just unbelievable. When I watched it and I and I read through the stat book after printed it out, they just went ice cold in the second half. And the Mountaineers took advantage of this, went on an 18-0 run to basically spark off the second half. And also another thing that was interesting that I found, Wilmington got, out, got outscored in the paint 50-10, to 10, I'm pretty sure, in that game. And App State scored 30 paint points in the second half alone. And, apps, and UBC Wilmington had 22 points in the second half in total. So they play, you know, clearly Takeo Siddle is the – uh, you know, former assistant of Kevin Keats, and they play a similar style to, you know, what Keats plays. Fast-paced, a lot of shots, pressure defense, up and down the court. They defend the whole court. So I guess if they're missing shots, it can get ugly in a hurry, but they can also make big runs in a hurry. Yes, I'm very familiar with uh, the Wilmington style of basketball because it is from Kevin Keats, who is also from the Louisville style from uh, Patino, you can see this similar up there in the garden, like with the Johnnies up there. But I mean, I would say that this team is very get in your face defense, just like you said. And when they're not hitting shots, it's going to be a long night for them. And it's just all there is. How crucial is Bobby Pettiford on a night like this handling the basketball and beating some of their pressure? Crucial. And I think it is going to speak volumes tonight of how important he is to this team if he has a good game or a, or a bad game. And look, the last the last time we saw Bobby with our own eyes versus Kennesaw State, everyone's oh my gosh, Bobby Pettiford, Bobby Pettiford, Bobby Pettiford. But look, nothing taking not taking nothing away from Bobby Pettiford, but that was Kennesaw State. You're now facing rival UNC Wilmington at home in what I think will be a great environment, and this will be the best team we've played first year 100, percent and also. To go back on Wilmington, they beat a great Asheville team. That UNC Asheville team is very good. They made the tournament last year, and they also have a player named Drew Pember, who also is a Schwartz product. He was at Tennessee with Schwartz, and I think Drew Pember is one of the best players in the country. I think he's the best mid-major player in the country. I'll stand on that right now. And they held him in check, and they beat a great Asheville team, which also has a lot of Power 5 transfers, including NC State transfer as well and Greg Gant. And they beat them pretty handedly. And wasn't it in Asheville? It was in Asheville. Yeah, at Asheville. Yeah, so, I mean, that was a... When they beat them, I was like, okay, this Wilmington team is for real. And then they went down to... They go down... Where they go? Bahamas, Fort Myers? Fort Myers tip off. And then they beat Murray State. They beat an okay Murray State team, but they powered... But they muscled through that one. And then, just like I said, the App State game, it's a fluke on the schedule. I'm not... I'm... This sounds weird, but I mean, I'm not taking that too serious because a 30-point loss to App State is just so strange. Yes, it's bad. We both saw that score that day, and we were super confused. I mean, I they just got out, they just went cold, and there's just all this to it. And in the, in those MTEs, that stuff can happen. Yes, um, it's, it's but end of the day, you look at the numbers again. They've played two non-division one schools, so some of these numbers are inflated. Mount Olive and Columbia International. So they're but they're averaging eighty five point seven points per game. They're shooting forty four percent as a team from three point range. They have five players shooting thirty eight percent or higher from beyond the arc. They have already taken one hundred thirty eight three point attempts as a team, shooting seventy six percent from the free throw line, forty nine percent from the field. Trezarian White, who shot seventeen or eighteen free throws against ECU last year, the six seven forward. 
He's scoring 19 points per game, 5.2 rebounds per game. Shaquem Phillips still bugs me that he's in a UNCW uniform, former South Central product. He's averaging 13 a game and uh, is more of their facilitator at the point guard position, 17 assists, a team high. So a uh, few few names to watch there. Have any other guys really stood out from, from watching the Seahawks? No one. I mean, you set them all to be honest with you, but I think that White is just a, White is a problem. He's once again – Excuse me. One of the greatest, I think, one of not one of the greatest, one of the best players in the mid majors right now. He has proven it night in night out. And then when we talked to Schwartz yesterday, you asked about him, and the first thing Schwartz said to you was, "I don't want him to take 17 free throws." Right. And that was the exact same thing that happened last year. And when going through their games this year, he's a straight up slasher. His jump shot has improved greatly from last year. It wasn't great last year, but it wasn't bad. But he's going to take the ball at the wing, drive right at you, which I think is going to be a matchup problem for ECU because I don't know if anyone on this team matches up well with him, to be honest with you, because I don't want to put Brandon or Ezra on him because you're going to get him in foul trouble, which is what you're going to have to do. Brandon and Ezra are going to get in foul trouble tonight, and they Schwartz has learned how to manage that. And I think the freshman bigs should get some run tonight because of that foul trouble. Christian Bateman watching along, he says uh – Murray State, he says, you refer to them as an okay team. They just beat Bradley, a team with top 25 votes. But Murray State also lost to App State, and they lost to Western Kentucky. Again, they're a solid team. They've beaten Midway, Tennessee Tech, and Bradley. So I'm not going to – look, Murray State, historically, good basketball program, quality win for UNCW, but I would say they're an okay team. I mean, yeah. it's a fair assumption. Yeah, I've, yeah, I watched their game versus App State, and <laughs> I was tuned in versus West Kentucky yeah. in and out. And I, I mean, look, I'm not – I'm not saying they're bad. I mean, they're just not what Murray State used to be. That's that's what I'm saying. John Morant is not running the point there, so no, he is uh, locked up right now. Not 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 locked up. He's locked up in. The, he's locked up in the house. Right, not, right. Not locked up. All right. Uh, Michael Jones says, "Do we think Mike Schwartz is going to rethink his build with freshman stuff after how badly things have gone so far?" So look, the narrative right now from uh, ECU fans on Hoist the Colors are ECU should have taken more transfers. And basically, I don't want to say move some other pieces off the roster, but taking more transfers. We knew Cam Hayes was going to be 50-50 as far as eligibility. They're still fighting on that. He's not eligible right now. Bobby Pettiford, we knew, very good player, but injury prone. That has been an issue. So you bring back your core, but really you haven't added much case in year over year. You want to develop these guys, but we haven't seen some guys take a leap and it's going to take time for Callum Richard, Sierra Malonga to develop as well. To Corey Faison, we expected to be a contributor. He's not even with the team right now. So I think he's asking going forward, can you continue to recruit freshmen and expect to win? I think in college basketball, you have to recruit freshmen. I don't care what anyone says about you have to use the portal, just the portal. You have to recruit freshmen. I mean, they are they're still building blocks. And if you look at the best teams on the country right now in college basketball, freshmen are stars for them. I, don't, I mean, and yes, I understand at ECU, you're not going to get those top guys, but you can also find diamonds in the rough. And a great example of this diamonds in the rough, just I'm going off the path right here, but he's not here anymore. But Tristan Newton is one of the best players in the entire country. He is on the wooden watch right now. He is averaging a triple-double, and he was a diamond in the rough find. And you can look at players all around the country that don't get the recognition they deserve and come in as freshmen, three stars, and become great. I mean, you can – I mean, 
you can just go down the list, but I think freshmen are still important. Recruiting high school is crucial in all three major sports, East, baseball, football, and basketball, and I think they're all equally important. I think ECU, you got to find the balance. Ezra Sar, freshman, he's a key player now. But I would say you look at Schwartz's high school recruiting thus far. Last year, you brought in five freshmen, Caleb Account, Ezra Sar, Valentino Pinedo, Elijah Jones, Saxby Sunderland. Three of those guys, or excuse me, two of those guys no longer with the program. Now, Elijah Jones is tearing it up last I checked at UTEP. Yes, he is. So he was obviously talented for whatever reason, did not play, transferred, doing good there. Saxby, I think, transferred to, what, Longwood or something like that. Uh, last I checked, he had not played a ton of basketball this year. And then Val and Cable account to this point, I would say role players. This year, Faison, again, I was a big fan of taking Faison. He just, it just hasn't worked out for whatever reason. And then Callum Richards, Sierra Malonga, I think both of them have potential. My argument at the time was, you know, why not take one of those guys as a developmental guy and then try to get somebody else more proven from the portal. Now, that's not easy to do with the NIL situation, but you can look at a lot of programs, maybe not a true big, you can get a guy in the portal. So I just want to see the right balance struck there going forward because I feel like you can recruit freshmen but also add more from the portal to – Look, this is a team that's in win-now mode, too, with RJ, Ezra, BJ, Felton, who I already said, uh, Quentin, and Jaden Walker. Like, these guys aren't going to be here forever. Yes, and I've had this conversation with you a number of times. I've had it with other people a number of times. I've had it with other people at other programs a number of times. At this point in the year, yes, we understand that maybe this roster is not built for right now, and that's just what is we just want to have the deal and yes you I can't change it you can't change it right now midseason and yes I understand there are problems on the roster there are holes on the roster there are three to four opportunities that you could have expanded on but then again this is the Schwartz this is the roster that Schwartz built and honestly me I I trust Schwartz I think he is a great coach I think he has his program heading in the right direction I think in year one with what he had to work with, he did very, very well. But I'm going to say it again. We're in the season now, so let's just rock with what we got. And, you know, you got you to gotta develop, accelerate the development of Sierra Malanga, Callum Richards as much as possible. Try to get something else out of Baila. And also, and, and also last, year, last year at this time, Ezra was not even close to what he, he is just, right now. Just making an impact. He so. was literally just playing like what twelve minutes a mm-hmm. game, and I mean, and I think that we're starting to see that with the two freshman bigs. They don't want to give them trial by fire. They want to slowly get their feet wet and slowly slip them into the pool, which I think is which I think is great, and I think that it's great because they have Ezra and Brandon in front of them who they can learn from. Johnny Robertson says, I was at George Mason last Saturday. Loved the energy and confidence from Logan Bourgeois. Showed in the final minutes. He had a three-pointer. Uh, any chance we see him with meaningful minutes later this season? I think they like him a lot. I, I think you know he's a walk-on freshman. I just think it's a situation where he's got to figure out what he's doing. I mean, he's still, from talking to him, still trying to learn how to speak English fluently. I mean, he does a tremendous job with it, considering he's an international kid. But, like, there's just a lot – 
he's doing transitioning to the U.S. So it's a it's a process right now. But I think he's got a shot, Casey. You know, t- to be one of those guys that contributes a little more. Yeah, I remember when uh, I was watching the game and I saw him check in. I was like, holy! I was like, oh my god! <laughs> Logan's checking in, and then I watched. He was playing great defense, great defense. He had great effort, and then he shot a three and went in. I was like, holy! Cow. Where's this been? Where's this been? But I, but. But then again, we can say whatever we want from the outside looking in. Coaches know, they see it every day coaches practice, know what coaches know what they have, and I think that they're going to use it to their best interest. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We might talk some more hoops as well. What does ECU have to do tonight to win? We'll, we'll discuss that a little bit, and then we'll get into the offensive coordinator search. Uh, ECU had an on-campus interview yesterday. We touched on that on HoistesCoach.net. We'll tell you a little bit about that discuss that candidates and more about the ec offensive coordinator search on the other side this is hoist the colors on a thursday what's happening man what's happening tell me what's happening every ecu fans one stop for all things ecu athletics this is hoist the colors with steven Igo on 94.3 the game welcome back in hoist the colors on a thursday we were talking basketball. We'll continue that conversation before we get into the OC search here a little bit. Uh, Pirate twenty thirty one thought Kaysom was going to slip there uh, when you. I guess you were dropping holy, and then you stopped. So good job, man. We can all, we, all, we can always find the dump button somewhere, uh, but it wasn't needed this time. Uh, Keith Garrett with a question about Duke football. Let's bring in our resident uh, Duke football expert. Keith wants to know the Duke quarterback leaves. Who was Riley Leonard? How much of that was the coach leaving? Philip, you're the Duke expert. Sorry about your Blue Devils last night on the hardwood. What happened with Riley Leonard? Is he following Mike Elko to A&M, or is he going to Notre Dame like I'm hearing? Yeah, I haven't really heard exactly where he's going to go. Neither one of those surprised me, but I think if Mike Elko stays, then he stays. But, you know, you hear all these things about, you know, this guy's a pro-style quarterback, and you want to be in a with a head coach that's going to keep that reputation. A lot of people believe that he can be a solid backup in this league, like he you know can run a pro style offense and be a career backup. Obviously, he probably has even higher aspirations than that. But you want to go to a place that can continue to keep you as you know. Mel Kiper said that he could be. I mean, you know who the hell's Mel Kiper? But Mel Kiper has him where he could be a day two pick so um i think he wants to keep that up so i definitely think it has to do with elko leaving yeah and he entered the transfer portal with the no contact tag which is such a joke to me if you're entering the portal and saying don't contact me it's clear tampering has gone on and you know where you're going basically the whole college football system is broken but anyways speaking of broken systems uh, brett mcmurphy tweets out the barstool sports arizona bowl will be broadcast on the cw network as uh, the CW is just racking up big-time college football. They get all the great ACC matchups like NC State, Boston College, Kaysen, and now they get the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl. So will you be watching on the CW on December 30th at 4 p.m.? If there's football on the CW, I'll be watching it. And you know who still hasn't found the CW? Dabo still hasn't found the CW, and he'll never find it. I haven't found it either. So I, uh, I You know what? I've, I've found the CW because I've counted – I've watched seven football games on the CW this, this year. And look, I put CW up there with like top tier broadcasting. Top tier broadcasting? Because, because look. What does their score bug even look like? Oh, it's it's basically ACC Network. But it's, okay. it's, it's basically like old time Raycom. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, okay. But look, here's the best part, of, the best part about the CW. In the post-game interviews, and three of them, when 
Virginia beat Carolina. I'm watching the game on the CW. Great For, matchup. I forgot her name. She's interviewing Tony Elliott. He's about to answer his about to say his answer. Two and a half men just cuts off. <laughs> Can't even hear it. That's that is the very CW. CW. Yeah, that is. Hey, I will say that the CW's been stepping it up with all kinds of TV deals. So you talk about that. I know you guys don't care about NASCAR, but they're starting to have the yes. Xfinity series yes. in 2025. Mm-hmm. And we I think there's some NASCAR. other, but no, there's like some NASCAR. other contract they landed though, other than racing and ACC. I can't remember what it is, but I think they're going to be getting. Do they cover the tournament too, or is that True TV? Let's That's True not. TV. That's okay. all part of Turner Sports. You're right. You're right. You're but right. But I can't remember what it is. But like they're trying to put themselves back on the map. Like you said, they're kind of going to become the new Raycom Sports. It sounds like. Good for them, I guess. I still have not found the channel. I've got YouTube TV uh, free plug there for them. I I still can't get CW. So I don't know if that's a me problem. If well, I'm it's like, an over the ear channel, buy a pair of rabbit ears and do it old school. I guess way. I'm like Dabo. Personally, and, uh, me, I drop YouTube TV just so I could get just CW. So you get CW. I understand. I mean, you're a big uh, you're a big Syracuse. Boston College guy. You can't miss those There's nothing better than a, than a Syracuse at Georgia Tech, 2 that, o'clock on the CW. I mean, that's that's primetime college football in my book. Um, all right. I'll tell you what. Let's talk about this OC search. We'll circle back to ECU and CW later. OC search at ECU confirmed the following. John David Baker, who is the assistant coach, co-offensive coordinator, tight ends coach at Ole Miss, interviewed for the position at ECU yesterday. And we reported this on hoistthecolors.net. 33-year-old, young offensive mind, has been at North Texas under Seth Luttrell, has been at USC under Clay Helton, has been at Ole Miss for the last three years under Lane Kiffin, and is the co-OC along with Charlie Weiss Jr. And so you got a young offensive mind here, played quarterback at Abilene Christian. If you haven't watched Ole Miss's offense or really any of these offenses he's been a part of, high-powered, Legit, you know, Ole Miss is interesting because it's a lot of power run game shots, you know, play action, deep shots. So I think it would be a fun offense to watch. Any sort of offense would be fun after what we saw last year. But initial thoughts on the, well, I'll get both of you guys' take on this. You know, there are other candidates involved. We've heard Chad Morris uh, involved in the job as well, former uh, head coach at SMU in Arkansas, also former OC at Clemson. So I think that's a, a notable name as well. There could be other candidates as well. But we do know John David Baker has interviewed. So to me, Kaysen, that tells me that Mike Houston definitely willing to go in a different direction offensively. Yeah, 100%. And I'm not the biggest football analyst and break it down like uh, my good buddy Joe and yourself. But I will say this, though. If Lane Kiffin has his hands on some and ECU can get a part of that, I'm all for it. If we can get someone that Lane Kiffin has kind of had under his wing, bring him on. Anybody that can call some offense to score some points. Philip, what do you think about this potential scenario? And again, even if John David Baker does not end up being the guy, what does it say to you as far as the offensive coordinator search? Well, it just shows you that, you know, let's go back to Monday night and Coach Houston saying that he wanted to kind of look in a total different direction. And he's proven that. You know, this is a guy who historically has ran the triple option and even in his time here with Donnie Kay was run the ball, stop the run. But when you kind of look at the Lane Kiffin side of things, they've kind of had some gunslinger quarterbacks. I mean, yes, they run the ball too, but, you know, they, they want to throw the football. And that is the era of college football we live in. When you look at what the American has been over the last – five, six years, you know, it's looked a lot like the Big 12, where it's a lot of point scoring, obviously not the as high of a level, but you got to score a lot of points, and you you can win games 40, 
nine forty two easier than you can win games ten to seven. So this is what that proves to me. I think it would be interesting. I said it uh, kind of built off case point. Don't know a whole heck of a lot about him, but if he's in that Lane Kiffin mindset, you know that's coming from Saban even before that, and uh, it would definitely be it would be kind of the sexy hire that would hopefully get pirate fans excited and hopefully get a quarterback to want to come here and people to want to buy season tickets and uh, people want to donate to NIL. If we can get all three of those things, we can have a pretty darn successful season. That's the thing is how many of these you know if I'm Mike Houston, the first thing I'm asking in these OC searches are. Do you have a quarterback in mind in the portal or any ties to a quarterback in the portal? Because you can hire the best offensive mind out there. If you don't have a quarterback to do it, it's not going to matter, guys. And the good news is there are a lot of quarterbacks in the transfer portal. I mean, I've tried to like start doing an article breaking down potential quarterback options, but there are so many guys in there. I almost don't even – I'm waiting for the OC to be hired to continue to uh, to, to look in that direction, uh, you know, as far as – trying to hone in on who could be the option. So that's a major question for me. You know, who does Mike Houston like in the in the, in the quarterback portal? Uh, who does the rest of the offensive staff that's still on board like? I mean, these are things that are going on. I know ECU's already had contact with several quarterbacks in the portal, and so you got these situations that have to be worked out too. One thing that I want to say about the portal and the quarterbacks, each and every year around this time, especially for basketball around March, I always say to myself, man, I have never seen this many kids in the portal. <laughs> it happens every and it, year, and it like triples. It like it like it like exponentially. It's it like it gets more and more. It just grows and grows and grows each year. And like I just can't believe. I mean, we've already got Riley Leonard in there. We've got Max Johnson in there. We've got I can I can't even name ten. We've we got like ten Power Five starters in there already that can go. And it's just I just cannot believe it. I, I mean, I think the football portal is worse than basketball and baseball combined. Well, it is because you have so many players yes. that think they're going to go somewhere. And and then I think it was Bobby yesterday who said it. Yeah. All these players going, going to the portal. Sometimes there's nowhere to go. You're not, going to find your way, you're not going to find your way out of the portal. I still remember Hassan Howe, who was a pretty notable running back at ECU in 2019, Mike Houston's first year, entered the portal after four games. Like He was a pretty significant part of the backfield, and he just never played again. At least not to my knowledge. I mean, he went into the portal midseason and disappeared. So that's how it goes, man. Uh, speaking of that, Oregon State quarterback DJ U, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, is going to the portal as well. Ungalungale. There you go. So do uh, I guess he's got to be following his coach to A&M. Speak, uh, Michigan State. Michigan State, yeah. Speaking sorry. on the – speaking there's, there's clearly too many coaches. Speaking of that, too. speaking of – shout out Camp Hayes, free Camp Hayes. Do football waivers? Because he's a two-time transfer. For now. Wait, no, was he there? Two- he is a two-time transfer. But if you're a grad transfer, you're fine. So he's probably graduated. He's been he's been comfortable that long. Yep, yeah. he's still got a year left. Oh Once gosh. you have a degree, it doesn't matter. And yeah, he's been there forever because he was heck. He was at Clemson for like three years. Because he was there. Because he was there when Trevor was there. Yeah, man, you're right. Man, he, yeah, I'm getting old. Jeez, the <laughs> We're all getting old, man. Uh, John Decker, golf instruction, uh, my favorite commenter. Uh, he says, if, if the OC gets 400 k per year, is that enough cash to get an SEC coordinator? So Donnie Kirkpatrick was making 430 I think Blake Harrell was making 450 or so. And from my understanding, this guy, uh, John David Baker, is making around 500000 at Ole Miss. You may not be able to get up to 500000 You can get competitive. But here's the difference for me in talking with some people 
you know, Mark Yellick, who we've had on the show, he worked with John uh, David Baker at North Texas, was on the same staff. You know, the sense I've gotten is maybe it's not about the money. Like, I mean, $400,000 still goes a long way in Greenville, North Carolina. And above that, obviously, goes a long way. But he's essentially third in line at Ole Miss right now with the offense behind Kiffin, behind Charlie Weiss Jr. So he could kind of be the guy here on offense, run his whole offense, run his own deal, be in charge. And if he has success here, he could probably pick his next destination as an OC. So there's more to it than just the money. And I think ECU can make a competitive offer there, uh, plus career path, give him a good opportunity to continue to move forward. So um, and maybe he has some ties on staff as well that led him to the position. So there's your update on the OC search. And we've heard Chad Morse involved as well. And, you know, he's an, he's an experienced name. He's in his 50s, has been a head coach before. And then I'm sure there are other guys in the mix, too, for the ECU offensive coordinator search. So stay tuned, hoistthecolors.net. We've had 100 people sign up this week alone for our VIP membership. Philip Pilkington has officially joined the site Philip, congrats, man, on being a VIP member. Now we just got to get Joe on board. Thank you. I'm happy to be part of the team. And, uh, yeah, Joey Football lying on air to us. Is, is that a suable offense? I mean, he, he came on the radio and lied to the public that he was going to create a count on Tuesday, and he didn't do it. That sounds like a fireable offense to me. Maybe we should fire him from the show. Hey, man, you know, we always joke about it. Maybe it's time to really do it. Tomorrow, tune in. We'll see if Joe is here or we'll get fired on the air. We'll see. Uh, Kaysen, let's circle back here to East. Actually, let's get a break in. I forgot. we got to get a break in. Then we'll come back. We'll talk, I'll tell you what. We'll talk ECU schedule, ECU baseball schedule, and then we'll also circle back. And we got a question from uh, Chuck about can we get a prediction for the game tonight we'll do that we got a question from christian bateman about could we get a quarterback from Ole miss we'll get into that as well this is hoist the colors on a thursday we will be right back everything you need to know in the world of ecu athletics this is hoist the colors with steven Igo on 94.3 the game hoist the colors welcome back in on this thursday a few housekeeping notes from the chat and then we'll get into the ecu baseball schedule uh, Christian says, could we get a quarterback from Ole Miss? If John David Baker's the hire, it's always a possibility, but Spencer Sanders is there. I think he's out of eligibility. I doubt Jackson Dart is coming here as he is their starter. They, I think I, I do think that if we can keep the H, uh, HTC NIL, NIL fund, yeah. NIL fund if, if we can keep that bumping up, Jackson Dart might be on his way Jackson to Dart. Greenway I Airport mean, right now. He raised like $5,000 in a day. If we can do $5,000 a day for 365 days exactly. a year, it's a lot of darn money. That's exactly. a lot of money. He won't, he won't be able to turn it down. If only I just didn't get shut down by 24-7 sports, we could have kept it rolling. But hey, I'm redirecting it to Team Boneyard, so continue to give to Team Boneyard. But I was impressed by ECU fans on that day, there's no doubt. $5,500 raised in six hours. Pretty good. Shout out Pirate Nation, man. Pirate Nation, Shout out real Hoist deal. the Colors. Hoist the Colors. Uh, surpassed my expectations in a big way. Um, Christian also says DJ played under Chad Morse. So he actually did not, Christian. Chad Morse was the OC there from 2011 to 2014. DJU is pretty old. I don't think he's that old. I mean, I think he got there in like 2015, maybe. Da, 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 da. He, right. he didn't get there in 2015. He got there in 2019. Yeah, I mean, he's, it's been yeah, a 19. while. And Morris was an OC, or was an analyst, excuse me, this past year at Clemson, but this was his first year back, So, and DJU was at Oregon State, so that is not the case. Uh, Chuck wants a prediction for tonight's game. We'll get into that in a little bit. All right, let's do baseball schedule. 
This was released yesterday afternoon. Uh, you got it pulled up, Casey. Yes, sir. Look at my computer. Let me know, sir. Philip will get your take on this as well. I know you'll talk about it later on the Patrick Johnson show. You got Scooter Rogers coming on, correct? Correct. Great. So we'll have Scooter on uh, as Patrick Johnson's got the uh, call on ESPN Plus. He'll be on the Patrick Johnson show with Philip the Ref Pilkington. All right. So non-conference wise, guys, East Carolina will play a weekend series against Ryder. UNC, the traveling series, they're still figuring out that Saturday location. It's going to be a minor league park of some sort. That'll be finalized here shortly. The Keith LeClaire Classic will be Purdue, Cal State Fullerton, Southeastern Louisiana. You travel to Liberty for your lone non-conference weekend series all on the road, and then you get Columbia at home before your conference play starts. Midweek competition, your usual suspects, Campbell, ODU, VCU, UNCW, Elon, and, you know, you have home-and-homes with most of those programs. State as well, the return of Alec Makarevich. Duke will only play ECU once this year. So when you all look at the non-conference portion of the schedule, we'll start with Case and what stands out on the baseball schedule. I just love, like I stated at the beginning of the show, I love in baseball how you play all your regional rivals. I think that is fa- I think that is fantastic. Even though I, even though there was – I don't know if there was no hope for this, but I was hoping. Me and my friends talked about it. I was hoping to see maybe Wake Forest on there one, one time. Maybe I would say – I'll trade. I'll trade Elon for Wake Forest. I'll trade Elon for a Wake Forest home game. I think that would be great. But but then again, I think the baseball schedule looks pretty similar year in year out because the conference. Then you play just regional teams. I mean, but just like we talked before the break, Ryder, you open with Ryder. I totally forgot. Which I'm mad at myself because I remember watching those games in Charlottesville in my hotel because they should have won that regional, the Conway one. That crazy catch. Remember oh, they made to to beat Coastal Carolina. That was electric. So. That'll be a tough opening series, a fun opening series. And, uh, Philip, what did you think when you saw the non-conference portion of the schedule? I just think that the weekend series are a little tougher than a year ago. Obviously, we played Liberty last year, but they had a down year. They should be back, should be a little better. Uh, you look at Ryder, you know, you guys just brought that up. Columbia is historically a pretty good program. And when you just look back at last year, you got some teams like George Washington, uh, Missouri State, George Mason, you know, it wasn't as good of a schedule it seemed like a year ago. And, uh, you know, I think this will help the Pirates come selection Monday. And, um, you know, the only thing I didn't really like about it is some of the early starts to some of these road Tuesday games. Pirate Nation loves to travel. And some of these games, like, for instance, at Old Dominion, they play Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Like, it's going to be hard for people to even watch that game, much less go to it. Uh, I understand it's early in the season. They're trying to beat the sun setting and the cold. But, you know, when you're, when you're a Pirate fan and it's within two hours, I mean, that's that's a home game for East Carolina fans. You know, we, we show up and, you know, they're kind of the unfortunate that uh, some of those games start as early as they do midweek. No early season game at Duke this year, which is usually a staple. Duke only comes to ECU this season. I was told Duke only wants to play ECU once a year right now, midseason or in the midweek game. So make of that what you will. Again, great program, uh, but they'll be playing ECU on May 7th inside Clark LeClaire Stadium. Conference-wise, East Carolina will play UTSA for the first time in the American. That'll actually be the first conference series March 22nd in San Antonio at good old Roadrunner Field in San Antonio, Texas. UAB... Former Conference USA foe, they will join the schedule. FAU, which is a solid baseball program, they fall on the schedule. We get the return of Charlotte to Greenville. First time they've been here, I believe, since the Greenville Regional. 
a few years ago. Wichita State will come to town. Pirates will go to Memphis. ECU gets USF. It feels like those schools always play in baseball. Maybe it's just because of last year's conference tournament. Uh, but those two teams will play towards the end of the year once again in early May. And then the Pirates play at Tulane and close the season against the Rice Owls before going to the conference <coughs> tournament in Clearwater, Florida. So anything stand out about the conference slates? Case and Romaley, we'll start with you. I'm curious to see, is Rice good? Well, I mean, they're a good program. They were great. Can they get back to can, what they yes, were? Yes, can Rice get back to where they were in the American Conference? And also, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of going Tulane. Per usual, I think everyone in this room can agree to that. Playing Tulane is not the best for ECU baseball, and going there is not ideal. But I do think this year, I am circling this, that we get our revenge on Wichita State from last year because also they lost their two studs. Right. So Peyton Tolley and... I forgot the other one. Brock Wilden. Oh, no, yeah. no. Brock, I thought Brock, Brock Roden. Brock he Roden. He got drafted, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they had some studs transfer out as well. Yeah. Um, so anything stand out to you on the conference front, Phil? I think in just it's what's going to stand out for the foreseeable future is what weekend do we play Charlotte? You know, obviously, uh, when they come here, I think it's it's a rivalry brewing. We're a little ticked off about the way football went down. And uh, they came here and beat us in soccer, which was disappointing because that had a lot of effect on the conference seating. So it's going to be big when they come here, and I'm definitely looking forward to going there next year. We had a pretty good turnout in 2020. Uh, we were there Friday through Sunday, about four days before you know the world stopped as we knew it. And uh, so I'm always looking forward to see when we play them. It's going to be weird, I think. I don't know the last time we played the last weekend series at home. We got Rice at home to end the season. It seems like we were always kind of down in like uh, Miami or uh, down in Tampa or something like that there towards the end of the year. So that'll be kind of nice. Uh, the only downside to that is the students will have gone home by May 16th through the 18th. But uh, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see how that goes. I think we have a home series graduation weekend, which kind of stinks. I, I believe graduation, that's graduation is May third. Yeah, so that I don't USF really love. Series. I we've had. To, I remember my senior year when I graduated, we had a home series, and you sometimes have less attendance just due to all the graduation stuff and traffic's really bad. I kind of wish you're on the road, but everybody's probably graduating the same weekend, so it is what it is. Yeah. Rice baseball guys, when they were in Conference USA, I mean, there was nothing like it when they came to town. And it was East Carolina Rice. I mean, they were they were a premier College World Series contender, won the national title in 2003, College World Series appearances in 97, 99, 2002, 03, 06, 07, 08. I mean, they were, they were studs. Uh, and then they haven't made the tournament now since 2017, basically since Wayne Graham retired. They've been awful. Last year, 21 and 37, 9 and 21 in Conference USA. So... You know, FAU, I think, is going to be a solid add. I think UTSA was close to making the tournament last year. Charlotte, we know, is a tournament-caliber program a lot of times. So, for me, uh, when I look at Rice, if they can get back to what they – even close to what they were, I think that's a difference maker for this this conference in baseball. So, we'll see how they do in another year of, uh, I believe, the Jose Cruz era in houston all right let's get a final break in we'll come back we will wrap up the show with our predictions what ecu needs to do to beat the uncw seahawks tonight inside Minji's coliseum we'll talk about that to wrap things up thursday edition of hoist the colors you're listening to climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors back to the show with steve and i go on 94.3 the game welcome back in final segment here hoist the colors on a thursday 
prediction time. Final thoughts time. East Carolina and UNC Wilmington. The rivalry renews tonight. And I am feeling good. I think the Pirates get it done. Let's first go into keys to the game. What what does the ECU need to do to win this game, Kaysen, before we get to our predictions officially? Rebound. Be able to break the press efficiently and get into the half court and stay out of foul trouble. Because Trezarian White and this team is going to drive. They are going to drive and slash. And another, I'm going to give one more. When they do that, they are going to pass out to the wing. We have to be able to rotate because this team can knock down shots. They have, I think, one, two, three, four, five. They have six kids shooting over 40% from three. And what is ECU's kryptonite this year? I've said it time and time again. Open threes and open driving lanes. So I think that if you can cut those down and rebound and stay out of foul trouble, ECU will win this game. KJ Keats is weighed in. Lord have mercy. On Facebook, he says UNCW by 10 plus. I hate to uh, disappoint you, KJ, but you, you got to be familiar with UNCW coming to Menji's Coliseum. If this was in Wilmington, I would agree with you. When the Seahawks come into pirate territory, they usually score some points, but they give up a lot of points. It's bird hunting season, baby. It's we bird hunting muskets. season. Pirates, 87, UNCW, 82. Philip, what do you think? I mean, quick, uh, you just got to have, you, you know, Case brought the rebounding. This is a team that doesn't turn the ball over a lot, so they get a lot of shots up, but you cannot give them second-chance opportunities. You got to rebound the ball well. I do like the Pirates, however. I think it's a little more low-scored. I'm going to go 77-73. We got it, Case. I got Wilmington, 85, ECU, 78. All right. So, Philip and I are on the Pirates at home. ECU, by the way, we talked about earlier, a one-and-a-half-point favorite now out of nowhere. Yes, the lines flipped, which I don't understand how and why, but... Vegas always knows, baby. Vegas knows they sometimes, know, hey, Vegas, not all the time. Vegas knows when the Seahawks come into pirate territory. The other thing I have, I like here, guys, ECU, rebound game, revenge game. I'm big on both. Rebound game, played terrible at George Mason. They've had to sit on that for four days. Last year, a lot of these same players played in Wilmington. I feel like ECU got embarrassed. I think they'll take this game personal, and I think the Pirates get it done at home. So it should be a fun one inside Menchie's Coliseum tonight. Again, we will have coverage for you on 94-3, the game. And looking forward to this one. It starts a crucial stretch for East Carolina. UNCW, then they play Maryland Eastern Shore on Monday. Then South Carolina, Florida, back-to-back SEC games. So three and four games here, huge test for ECU. UNCW will be one of the best teams East Carolina faces this season. But, Kaysen, appreciate the time, man. Good stuff as always. Good stuff. I'll see you guys tonight at Menjis. We'll see you tonight at Menjis. Philip, will you be there? No, I'm stuck here producing. You guys are stuck with Joey football tonight. He brought good luck last time. He's good luck. He's the good luck charm. So that's another reason for a Pirate W. And I'll see you tonight, KJ. I'll see you tonight, buddy. He's going to be there. He says, great pick, Kaysen. All right, we'll get out of here. We will uh, see you guys tomorrow at 12 noon. We'll have Joey Football on, hopefully to recap a Pirates W and more. See you then. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a 